Hello and welcome to this, the newest episode of the Weekly Watchlist, a pop culture podcast brought to you as always by the good people at MGA Traffic. I think it's episode nine, Will. Episode nine. I think it's episode nine. Grow up so young, so quick. Um, (laughs) Welcome to the show. My name is Sean Peterbudge and as you just heard, that's Will Peters. How are you going, Will? Good, very good. Three weeks in, isolation. Another three to go. I've completely lost uh, all track and all perspective of time. Mm. It's just time is, mm. what did uh, True Detective, it's a flat circle. It's just, you're going, I don't even know what day it is. You sent me the text and I kind of had half an inkling it was Tuesday. And then I was like, oh, yes, 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 of course. Um, <laughs> but I was I was like, oh, yeah, it is Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Oh, I'm going to have one of the most depressing birthdays I've ever had. My birthday is tomorrow. Um, <laughs> well, happy birthday, of course. Gonna, thank you. Um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be one of the most depressing things I've ever been a part of, I think. Oh, actually, it's weird. I actually know quite a few people whose birthdays. My sister's uh, 40th was a couple of weeks ago. Um, yeah. That was in... That was meant to be, like, right at the tail end of stage three, so we still could have... We would have missed it by a couple of days, but we still could have got together. Yeah. Um, so that was that was ordinary. Your birthday's tomorrow. A cousin's birthday's mm. today. My younger sister's birthday's next week. Jesus. And there's one more, like a like a friend, like a like a. Oh, it was a week ago, and it was like. When you you actually notice it now because you're like, oh, I can't actually really even get you anything. Can't we can't do anything? Yeah, it's a bit sort of like, like I'm sure I'm sure Maddie will spoil spoil me rotten. Um, she loves. She's a she's a giver when it comes to birthdays and Christmas. Um, she doesn't stop until she's literally exhausted her brain of ideas. Um, and her bank so account. I'm sure she'll. I'm sure she'll spoil me rotten, but it's going to be weird. The parents. It's be weird. The parents got something planned. Um. Yeah. Well, I gave them an idea of one thing, and it turns out that's not going to be shipped for another six weeks. So that's fun. <laughs> um. So I think they've got something as a surprise because they knew something wasn't going to be here. So. A bag of dicks. <laughs> well, that's all very exciting, isn't it? It's all very exciting. As I said, birthday is taking on a completely different complexion in lockdown. Um, hopefully yeah. you won't be left behind when, it, when, when things kind of return to normal somewhat. Um, hopefully there'll be a bit of catch-up applied and, uh, and you don't feel like you've just missed one. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll look back at it in a couple of years and go, "What did I do for my 26th? Oh, that's right. Oh, Nothing. yes, I was a I was a prisoner of the state. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> How could I possibly forget? Um, well, basically, the the premise of this show, obviously, is Will and I get together once every week or so. It's actually funny. We've got less of a structure now that lockdown's on, which is weird. Um, yeah. we're, we're, we're more structured when things are actually normal. Um, we get together and have a chat about what the or what different kinds of media we have consumed during the week and what we made of them, inspired by Steven Soderbergh, who keeps a year-end list, which he drops at the end of every year. Um, yeah, we just chat the good, the bad, and the other of, of what we've watched or listened to or read and whether you should do the same. Um, I will kick off this week, and I was actually quite excited to talk about this, uh, looking forward to it all throughout last week, and when it occurred or happened over the weekend, the DC Fandom event... Um, which was DC and kind of Warner Brothers joint, uh, what would have happened at Comic-Con, basically. It was their their slate of announcements and panels and trailer reveals um, that would normally take place at a San Diego Comic-Con. Of course, Comic-Con can't take place this year because of uh, the old Rona. 
Um, so what they did instead is had a, a bit of an online virtual sort of setup where they dropped their slates and um, I dropped my pants because some of the stuff <laughs> that they revealed was oh, – look, as much – how do I say this? As much as I love what comic book movies have become, like when I was younger, like – there were a couple, like I'm being very little. There was a few here and there, but they were, they were like a, an oasis in the desert and they were pretty ordinary. They were pretty schlocky. They were pretty hammy. Um, they were they were, they were were properties or licenses that were bought on the cheap because no one really knew what they were worth. Um, if you think about late 80s, uh, early 90s, even you know, late 90s, um, to realise a comic book movie was quite cost ineffective when you think of the effects and you think of how to make it look good and do the property justice. So you didn't really get a lot. But having said that, what you did get, if you're a kid, like you don't really know that it's a bit ho- bit, bit hacky and it's a bit ordinary. But I am and have always been all about Batman. And mm-hmm. for a while, like he was really the only character you could, could kind of do justice on screen because um, – whilst the films that he was in were very expensive, you know, relative at the time to, to stuff like The Punisher or Roger Corman's Fantastic Four or, you know, something like Spawn that came out later or Dick Tracy or the like, um, because he has no superpowers, because because realising his world is, isn't is so difficult, you could actually do a, like have a pretty good attempt at him. And um, ultimately, you know, we've had two film series in the 90s, we've had a third later on, we've had a fourth, including Affleck, and then this new one. But... Like, it, my love for the character is such that I, spe- I suppose there's only a couple of film series that really get me, um, I don't know, get, get me frothing at the mouth. It's probably, like, Star Wars, James Bond is pretty close, and Batman, like, comfortably. Yeah. As much as I get excited about the, the, the big Marvel stuff and whatnot, none of them do or stoke me you know, stoke the fire like Batman does when there's something new yeah. about Batman or a new Batman or a new um, series or the like. Um, and, like, it actually kind of moves me to the point, you know, Star Wars is like it. James Bond, like I said, is pretty close. Batman, I'll, like, I'll take days off work to go see these films. Mm. I just love them so much and I'm always, you know, keeping more of an eye out for what these series are doing. I'm still a bit hard on, uh, hard up, I should say. Uh, my mate Mike, his uh, wedding back in 2016 coincided with the release of Batman v Superman. <sighs> Not that Batman v Superman was outstanding. It wasn't horrible, but um, we were in Vanuatu the day the game came out, uh, the day the movie came out, so I didn't get to see it for several days. And um, I've got to say, I wasn't a huge fan of that, but um, they weren't going to move it on my account. I was like, can't we do it tomorrow? Maybe. <laughs> um, sure you don't want to move it just for me just yeah I mean doesn't like I don't know about you guys I reckon like next Monday sounds better for everyone else <laughs> oh, I'm just, I don't know if I'm speaking for myself but um, so effectively uh, the big reveal from DC Fandom was Matt Reeves first trailer for the Batman um, which is released in October of next year uh, and have you seen the trailer Will? yes I have so uh, I've, I've only watched it once, though, so I probably need to watch it again and look at some Easter eggs and whatnot. Yeah, because the first impression of a trailer generally is quite um, quite difficult. It's meant to leave a good first impression, but at the same time not really tell you much. You know, when you yeah. see it first, um, the beauty of these days, obviously, you can just press the old replay button and watch it again. Um, so basically, Matt Reeves has directed a couple of the Planet of the Apes films, very good filmmaker, very serious filmmaker. 
um, was given his opportunity to write and direct a Batman after Ben Affleck, A, uh, had sort of bowed out of the role. He's coming back to it briefly. Touch on that. And he was going to write and direct the film himself, but Affleck had some problems, so dropped out. So DC naturally don't want to have one of their meal tickets dormant. So they said, look, what do we want to do with the character? And, And ultimately, watching the trailer again and again and again, I'm softening on it. But I sort of love everything, like love everything, except for Batman. And that's not a crack at Robert Pattinson. I've got no issue with him being Batman. And until we see the film, you know, you, you obviously reserve judgment wholly. History's littered with, you know, Heath Ledger as the Joker, Ben Affleck as Batman. And then you see him and you're like, no, they're good. No, this really works. Yeah. Um, but just the look of him, I suppose, like the suit cosmetically uh, and the lo-fi kind of approach to him, I appreciate that it's yeah. fresh. I appreciate that it's something they haven't done before. Um but there's just something about it where there are certain, we spoke about tenants and we spoke about like tropes in a James Bond film. There are certain things you expect from a character or a film. And this, mm-hmm. this visually at least is really challenging that like you watch this film, he's it driving. It doesn't look like a multi-million dollar suit. Well, see, this is the thing. It looks kind of, they released a bit of a, um, a really brief uh, one shot sort of sizzle reel uh, a little while ago now, actually, right at the start of filming. So they've only filmed 25% of the film. In England, it was shut down due to coronavirus. Um, so it's interesting, you watch the trailer and you go from a reported 25% coverage of the movie, you're going, uh, it showed us quite a bit. Like, you've, you've captured some pretty significant stuff by the looks of it, which is yeah. which is interesting. Um, but I get the lo-fi look. I get that he's starting out as Batman I get that the suit, they want to do something a bit different with it. It's got, it looks like it's got a bit of an Iron Man-y kind of mechanization Arkham game series style. There's something about it. Um, I love that it kind of looks like a bit of a mixture of potpourri, if you will, Will, of year one uh, comic book, Long Halloween, a little bit of New 52 stuff. So they've kind of taken from stories that haven't really been touched on a, a whole heap Elements of all those are Batman Begins is year one and there's a little bit of Long Halloween in Dark Knight. But I don't know, there's something about it that I just, I kind of appreciate, at least it looks different. And the one thing I'll say is, the biggest takeaway I've got is, we've spoken in the past about how making Spider-Man a kid is like the most obvious thing in the world. And you sit there and go, why it took them so long? It's the most obvious lever to pull with this character to make it better. Make him a kid. I'm not suggesting they make Batman a kid. But... We, invariably, we always see him as a kid in every one of these movies, though. But have him solve a mystery. Like, it's the most obvious thing in the world. Have Batman, he's, he's a detective, one of his, you know, nicknames, the world's greatest detective. In all of the movies, he doesn't really do much detecting. And if he does, it's usually off-screen or shit. So, <laughs> so the idea that they're pitting him against Paul Dano's Riddler who is a serial killer, you sit there and go, like, the trailer will. The trailer opens with a murder. Mm. Like, the genuinely, the first shot of the trailer is the Riddler murdering a guy, or the aftermath, I should so, say. So we, we know it's the Riddler. Yeah, so Paul Dano, oh, look, they could pull a, a fast one or the like, but the, the consensus is that he's been cast as the Riddler and he's, um, he's a serial killer. Like, he's a dangerous, you know, megalomaniac... Um, sort of narcissistic, you know, he's, he's trying to pit wits against this guy. He's trying to pit wits against Bruce Wayne, Batman. I have a suspicion he might 
know or suspect who Batman is. And the fun of it is not revealing his identity, but like putting him through the ringer a bit. And I don't know, like this is a concept just makes so much sense to me. The idea that Batman has to, not in necessarily a, a physical battle, but he has to outwit someone, you know, and it's the classic yeah. thriller. Can he solve the next puzzle, the riddle? Can he, you know, crack the code in time to save the next life or to be one step ahead? And it just, like, it just makes perfect sense. Like, it just, you sit there and you go, I think the people in the aftermath, obviously it all depends on if the, if the like, any good thriller, murder, mystery film, it all depends on the, what the mystery is. But you know, if it's actually yeah. if it's actually good, I think people will walk away going, "Why the fuck haven't we done this before?" Have like, can, you know, Batman's yeah. a mystery film. Can you imagine if Dano comes out and like, like obviously we've only seen a small snippet of him, but he comes out like looking like Jim Carrey? <laughs> that would be like that is jarring. <laughs> I did not expect that. <laughs> it's actually quite funny. I was watching um, this whole Batman thing's got me in a Batman mood, and I, I found myself watching Kevin Smith. And Mark Bernardin, um, they have a they have a, a podcast called Fat Man on Batman, but um, they they've done a whole bunch of different stuff. They talk about Batman all the time. They love the character, and they've done a bunch of um, commentaries of the first four movies. So the Michael Keaton, mm. Al Kilmer, George Clooney, they are if you like Batman, they are hilarious. Like they talk about like the movies. They talk like they that's just a commentary. You just chuck on the movie and and run this on YouTube. And it's, yeah. they are so good. And it actually got me thinking, like, Batman Forever, the only thing, by looking at this trailer, you look at it and you go, so Batman films historically, to varying degrees, um, and, and with a couple of different takes, have, have done Bruce Wayne really well, they've done Batman really well, they've done action well or brooding well, they've done, you know, the Batcaves looked really good in different iterations. This one looks like it's got a really cool take on Alfred. Andy Serkis is playing him, and he, I reckon he's going to be a bit more rough and ready. There's a version of Alfred where he's like a, a Jeff Johns did it. He's like a ex SAS, like he's not a, he's not like a the hired help, snooty, stiff upper lipped Brit. He's like an ex SAS badass. So that explains yeah. why he's got a bit of expertise and he's helping mentor Bruce Wayne. Um, so this looks like a cool take on Alfred that hasn't been done before. Not that Michael, Michael Caine's version of Alfred was great and Michael Goff's version was its own thing. But Batman Begins and that trilogy did Commissioner Gordon really well. The cartoon series sort of did a whole bunch of stuff really well, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The only thing these films haven't done well is Robin. And you sit there and go, for such an important part of the Batman mythos, not that I'm expecting Robin to turn up in this Batman universe anytime soon but you sit there and you watch this Kevin Smith Batman Forever commentary and he's hilarious and he's on the money you're watching these scenes and there's all these great scenes in Batman Forever of Robin losing his parents um, you know saving Batman after a skirmish with Two-Face etc 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 but he's like a 30 year old man like Chris O'Donnell you're like you're looking at him going you're 30 years old it's not your fault (laughs) that you were born in 1965 or whatever he was born, he's probably yeah. younger than that. But you go, imagine all of these scenes with like an eleven-year-old boy. His parents are killed. He witnesses <laughs> yeah. it. He's saving it's so Batman. Hard to but that, this is the thing. Out, like, but this is the thing. He's the idea is that, and if you watch Batman Forever, and there are certain points where they point it out, there are shots, and you go like, 
Dick Grayson, his parents are killed and he's brought to Wayne Manor just to be, you know, whilst we figure out what happens next, Bruce Wayne has, has offered to put a, a house over your, you know, a roof over your head. And you're like, imagine if he's an 11-year-old boy. And the idea is that Bruce sees himself, lost his parents, what happens next, where do I go, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you're going, the only thing, as great as this looks, we're looking very far in the future. Be like, it just looks like it's checking things off. We've got the Riddler being a serial killer. We've got a cool, like an interesting take on Catwoman. Um, again, um, yeah, you know, that. we've got an interesting take Catwoman. and a f- we've got a fresh take on, you know, Colin Farrell playing the Penguin and he just looks like a crime boss. Doesn't look anything like Colin Farrell. It's unbelievable. Um, but you look at that and you're like, all these little things, boxes being ticked, and you're like, the one thing you haven't really done properly is Robin. So you wonder, will that series have the balls to go there in two or three films' time? And I don't know. I just reckon it's this beautiful... You can, you can make the argument that MCU, Tony Stark and Spider-Man, Peter Parker... Yeah is the best Batman and Robin relationship we've seen in a movie. The experienced, you know, father figure, taking the young guy under his wing, mentoring him, et cetera, et cetera. And you sit there and go, there is absolutely a place for this in this universe, whether they have the balls to do it. But look, the the actual trailer, absolutely fantastic. Look, brilliant. Um, Yeah, it did. Principal photography set to continue. Um, it looks so interesting. It looks like a really cool take on it. The aesthetic of Gotham looks really good. I think they filmed um, filmed quite a lot of stuff in in Liverpool. I think, yeah, you know, from memory. Um, mm-hmm. But it just it looks like its own thing. Um, there's only so many places you can go with Batman that haven't been done before. But um, it, it looks like it looks like a lot of fun. It looks like a really interesting way to approach it. And like I said, a sensible long overdue way. Um, the other stuff was there was a, a cool look at Wonder Woman, uh, which was meant to have been out in June, I think, um, which has obviously been delayed sort of indefinitely. Um, the new trailer for that, that looked, that looked quite good, like a bit of fun. Um, and then the trailer for the Snyder Cut of Justice League was probably the other really big talking point. Um, I'm not sure if you saw that. There was just um, uh, or know too much about the whole Zack Snyder relationship with DC and, and this film in particular. Um he obviously directed uh, Superman, Man of Steel, and then was given the keys to kind of build their Marvel rival. It didn't really go too well. Mm-hmm. Batman v Superman wasn't as successful as they might have hoped, and there was perhaps a different kind of perspective on the on what the character might you know people wanted to see from it. it didn't really work out, and then that led to him call a spade a spade being fired from the Justice League sort of ten months before its release. Joss Whedon came on, recut it, reshot a bunch of stuff, and we ended up getting one of the biggest cinematic dog turds that's ever been projected <laughs> on a screen. It was fucking unwatchable. And you sort of sit there and you go, my my attitude throughout it all was Zack Snyder, there was this whole release the Snyder Cut thing for years, and my thing was Zack Snyder's Justice League, and we're going to see for ourselves next year when it's released um, on HBO Max, it might be crap. Like, it might be terrible. WB yeah. executives apparently said it was, quote, unwatchable, the, the rough cut of the film. <laughs> it might be. It might yeah. be awful. But it can't possibly be worse than the Frankenstein's monster they released, which didn't make mm. sense, didn't pay anything off, looked awful, like just it was clumsily put together, just disgustingly bad. For better or this this will be a consistent vision. And the one final takeaway, one thing I loved about the trailer was um, – only dialogue at the end, just shots, because the idea is Zack Snyder had said um, there won't be a single thing in the film that he didn't shoot. 
um, Joss Whedon apparently shot sort of 40 or 50% new stuff for the theatrical yeah. film that we got. So it's going to be a completely different movie, which is sort of quite cool, quite fun. But they used uh, Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah over the trailer, which it might yeah. be a bit obvious and on the nose, but it's very symbolic. Like there's a beautifully written song, obviously, but um, given Snyder's history with the property and history with the film and how acrimonious it seems to have been, unfortunately his, his, his uh, daughter committed suicide at some point during his work on the film, which was sort of used as a bit of a you know family tragedy. He's had to leave the project, um, mm-hmm. which once again, how true, how, how much of an impact or influence that had, we don't know. He was clearly in a bad space, but I think that was used as a bit of a, yeah, look, he's had to exit to deal with this and blah, 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 blah. But he was, they fired him. So the lines in Hallelujah as they're playing clearly, um, uh, was it, uh, you don't really care for music, do you? And then he says the baffled king composing. There's all this really cool stuff about, you know, I did my best, it wasn't much. Um, and there's all this awesome sort of symbol- symbolism to say, um, you fucked me over and you didn't believe in my vision and you fired me and now we're doing this. Because the backlash was so massive and, of course, hallelujah, the idea that it's finally being released. So, um, no, look, it's, uh, the DC fandom was a cool event. They had some really cool stuff. A look at James Gunn's Suicide Squad was interesting. Um, clearly looking to bring his Guardians of the Galaxy touch uh, to a very yeah, similar... Definitely to a very similar property, but Batman clearly stole the show. It was absolutely outstanding, um, and I can't wait for October of next year. Ooh, ooh. Mm. Nice. Excellent. Um, well, yeah, I, we, I mean, we both, we briefly spoke off pot about it. Um, I think I sent you an Instagram message of it, but um, just from the one viewing, I'll go back and look into it a bit more, probably after the podcast. Um yeah, I was super, super pumped for it. I've been kind of, I I guess I grew up with the Christian Bale um, Batman. So mm. I didn't really super, like, super like the Ben Affleck, the ben Affleck version. Um, so I kind of, in my in my eyes, I kind of hold the Christian Bale version up there. Um, oh, see, this is but, the thing, like, I've always got this cool attitude about what it not as annoys me, annoys me is the wrong word, but like everyone always says, oh, that's my Batman or that's my James Bond or that's my whoever the, that's just the version of the day. It's not like, it's not the final version. It's not as fantastic as Heath Ledger was as the Joker and he was mind blowing. You sit there and you go, mm. well, two people have played the Joker since him and think what you will of Jared Leto and Joaquin Phoenix's performances. You go, well, more people will play him later. They'll recast the Joker for exactly. this. More people play the Joker. Robert Pattinson's not going to be the last Batman, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you go, it's all just the director at that moment's vision of what the character yeah. could be, needs to be, ought to be. Mm-hmm. And I love the Nolan. The first two were outstanding. The third one was a bit bit muddled. But you sit there and you go, I love the Burton ones. I, fucking, I love the Schumacher ones because they're so silly and stupid and just ridiculous. So you sit there and go, these films got made. They like, like these films. These films happened, and you go at a time like I said earlier when comic book films were few and far between. You're like you, you're sort of taking anything you could, but I don't know. Like I don't know how anyone could watch Batman Forever and and Batman and Robin, and even if they don't, even if they think they're shit, even if they, you know, this is an awful movie. How you couldn't have fun watching it? 
just because of the, mm. the silliness of it, the zaniness of it. It's just, it's ridiculous. But, um, yeah, it'll be interesting, like you said, because this will be this next generation's kind of, you would imagine they'll do at least three of these. So... I hope so. What do they I end up becoming? I really, really hope it doesn't, like, you know, shit itself. We also wait and see on Michael Keaton. I was hoping they were going to announce Keats returning for uh, Flashpoint, but that didn't happen, which makes me wonder... Um, he might be thinking about it, holding out for a bit more of that sweet cash. Sweet, sweet cash. Just letting that, letting that fire burn in people going, where's Keats? Announce Keats. Where is he? And he's sitting there going, oh, I'm waiting. I'm just waiting for another zero on that check. Some back end points. Um, which is interesting because he's Michael Keaton. He, you know, he hasn't, he had a bit of a renaissance, but you know, he hasn't been a major movie star for like 30 years. Should be happy for any fucking role. Exactly. There you go. DC <laughs> Fandom, my number one. What's your number one for this week, um, Will? My number one is a bit of a throwback. Oh. Um, it's a game. I've been kind of just browsing the, the uh, Nintendo eStore on, on my Switch every so often mm-hmm. um, because despite, uh, you know, I, I, despite being locked in and locked down, uh, I still have a fix for golf. Um, so I'm just eagerly awaiting golf 2K21 to play on my Switch. But while browsing the store, um, I just looked on the either free games or the games for like under five bucks, which you can look at. Mm-hmm. Um, I found Doom 64. What? Doom. You know the you know the shooter? The yeah, shooter? we need the portal from hell. Yeah. I thought you said you were looking um, for a golf game. I was, so, but I'm waiting for that game. <laughs> I love so the idea. In, Can't in, wait to hit the links. But in the meantime, I hear there's an, an, a, a demonic invasion on Mars. <laughs> so, um, I yeah, was just browsing the store, saw that Doom 64 was bar me $3. So broke, broke the bank for this one. Um, and, you know, it's a 97 game so almost almost the no 20 years 23 years um it's it's got the same you know we always talk with cod and other games about how it's just like non-stop always you've always got to be thinking it's fast blah, blah, blah. this has got it doom 64 is a classic well you know what the um, issue i agree completely like i played it yeah. on the pc kind of before that but doom as a game um, there's actually a very interesting Netflix series, uh, High Score, which came out. I was going to review it, but it got bumped. Yeah, um, I haven't watched it yet. It's quite good, but one of the segments later, they, they chart linear. They chart the evolution of video games sort of all around the world. And one of the segments in one of the last episodes is talking about Doom and these guys that developed Doom. And you, it's funny because, once again, for someone my age, having played it, you play Doom mm. and you're like, this is the blueprint for first-person shooters. Yeah, legit. And, like, more than that, people would use the Doom engine and Doom sort of became Quake and then the Quake engine and for shooters. But, like, this became... You watch Doom and you sort of go, yeah, Wolfenstein was born out of this. You know, the Star Wars Dark Forces games were born out of this. And yeah. I think the first the first Doom came out in, like, the... I'm trying to think it was, like, 91, pretty early 90s. Um, um, I'm just trying to find it. And Doom was like the first thing too, like had online gameplay, it had online deathmatch. But 
Mm. A Greek Doom, com- 1993. Yeah, there you go. So, but like it had, to this day, like its DNA is all over everything. Oh, yeah. And like I, I just, I never played it on obviously 64. It was a big thing for 64. Um, I think I might have played it on PC early, early days. But going back into it, I really, it's, it, in a way it's simple, but it's also, if you've got no concept of shooters, like you would just find the game way too hard. Because it gets to a point where you're like being chased around by all of these monsters, um, <laughs> and like the first two levels took me way too long. Like I was googling how to find a certain card yep. to get through to this door. Is it the red card? And the green card? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it was yeah. There was parts of it where I was like, oh, this is just so nostalgic and amazing. But the other parts, I was like, how the fuck do I get through? Because <laughs> it's, like it's, it's relatively, Where else could it be? I was it's, just pressing it's, buttons on the wall. It's sort of relatively kind of open, not open world, but it's relatively open. Like you're walking around this yeah. facility, and you're sort of like, "Am I even meant to be in this room? Is there anything in this room that I need to? Is there anything in here for me?" <laughs> I'm like, I'm looking, I'm looking at the walls to see if there's any buttons to press. I press the button, look around, see if anything's changed. I was like, oh, oh, here we go. Um, and then, you know, I didn't know I had auto run on, so I was moving really fast and then moving really slow. Um, but, yeah, really good fun. I, um, Doom's great. I was pleasantly surprised. Did you – I didn't have a look. Did you play uh, – what the, what's the latest, the newest Doom? It only came out last year, I think. Is it Doom Eternal? Is that what it's called? Doom Annihilation. Yes. Yes. Um, that looked, as a child of Doom, um, I, I remember seeing like the oh, ads for Doom it. Not, yeah. And I was like, oh, that looks pretty cool. I was like, oh, check it yeah. out. I still haven't played it because it looks like, it looks frighteningly intense. Mm, like the gameplay trailer. It looks um, crazy. I, yeah, I feel like it's. I know I I wouldn't. I'm, there's probably you know Doom Nuffies out there, but oh, there I are. I would play this. I just play like the early Dooms to know what I like. Um, I wouldn't do anything ridiculous. I don't think with these newer ones. It, it's just like as mm. I said, like it's just got cool kind of like the embryonic stages of what has become a staple of gaming that that first person shooter and um and like you said you can kind of from a nostalgic point of view you can plug it in today and still go i suppose you can still see all these years later you go this is why it was such a big deal yeah like I get I just, it. i'm looking at doom eternal can gameplay right now and it is like a mixture of like it's graphics are way too good for a doom game and it's that fine like line, you isn't can it? like pull you can pull the eyes out of ghosts and like grapple to them. It's definitely a PC game. There's no way you could play it on um on Switch or like, you know, an old school console. Um it's I don't know, it's it's too much personally for me. Is that what it's called? What's is that new one called Doom Eternal? I I'd never Yeah. So yeah, Doom yeah, Eternal, yeah, yeah, seven yeah. minutes of brutal, Sorry, Doom Annihilation's the um game. That's a, I've just looked it up. That's a movie. That makes more sense. Oh, or like cool. a crappy, a crappy movie. But yeah, yeah, it's a, it's that fine line, isn't it? Because you go, Doom in its 
it, it was a product of its time, but it's it's very simple. Um, the, the concept is very, uh, very sort of organic. And if you mm. if you rev it up too much, like Doom Eternal looks like an absolutely sensational, like really well done art design, and the, the yeah. engine looks great and all that kind of stuff. But you're like, is it is it straying too far from the path of what like a Doom game is? It's sort of like we spoke about Halo. These the makers of um, that new Halo were talking about how you can't just make the game COD because that's not what Halo. No. That's not what Halo was. Exactly. So you can't just follow the trend because then your Halo you fans will be, be like, Halo. "Yeah, your Halo fans yeah. that has expected to have its own certain DNA." And there's a certain fetch quest kind of um, vibe to a Doom game. You got to go find this key. You got to go open the door, and you got to. Blah 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 blah. You gotta, you gotta upgrade your weapon and blah blah. You sort of there's this sort of expected um, you know progression. And if you make it too big, then you're like, oh, is it doom anymore? Yeah, well, that's what I think a lot of people are excited about the new um, the next Call of Duty that's coming out. Been announced as Call of Duty Cold War. Ooh. So after the last couple of years of going, you know. Um, history, current time, future, mega future, and then reeling it back with Warzone or Modern Warfare, they've then gone back again. So everyone's like, oh, yes, this is like peak COD. Um, and I think they came into Warzone and Modern Warfare not knowing the success it would have, so they probably half-assed it, where I think they're going to really, like, really, really do Cold War well. Um and like there's a you know there's a live event on Warzone tomorrow or Thursday morning for us it's like ten thirty. But um, it's going to be yeah. I think they'll like they're going to stick to what COD does well and what COD knows best. There'll be a hectic zombies campaign I reckon, being Black Ops um, or being of like the Black Ops uh, family. Um, it's just yeah, it's going to be it's going to be awesome. It's funny, like, as you mentioned there, because, like, COD, as you said, was initially, you know, based on historical things. And the and the evolution yeah. clearly is it has to go... Once the game becomes a success, there's only so many wars to adapt and all that kind of stuff. So then they kind, yeah. kind of start fabricating a future. You know, this is where warfare could go, and it's a bit of fun. And then back to its roots is definitely you know, what people probably yearn for more than anything as much as they would appreciate one of those future set games going back to a, a more grounded yet still like I suppose it'll be era appropriate with a few kind of upgrades of this sort of like have you played the Wolfenstein games no see Wolfenstein's got some fun stuff in it too where it's a World War Two shooter but because it's a fantasy game um they they take some liberties with you know with technology and they some of the technologies are uh, souped up a bit or they're embellished or you're dealing with tech that you know serves the narrative of the game rather than historical accuracy accuracy and that's that's mm. just like a bit of fun it's like got this steampunky yeah you're in World War Two but you're firing like a pulse rifle because mm. the whole thing is a scientific experiment and you know that, that they sort of have fun with that concept which is pretty cool. Yeah, um, but like yeah, they've been they've been having they've been showing nukes um, like in Warzone for the last oh, 
four or five months. They opened up bunkers and, like, you know, there's kind of Cold War-looking um, oh, items there. There's like, like missile a, silos? A little, little statue of Stalin and... Um, Who doesn't have one of those? So there's, been, there's, there's been teasers of, you know, Cold War-era um, propaganda and stuff. So I think whatever, however they're doing it, they're doing it insanely well. You could, um, they could do some cool... And, so is it set like Cold War? Because the Cold War, you know, went for like 30 years. Yeah. Um, is there anything like, is there visual stuff about it or? No. So we, the first, the only thing we, uh, there's, a, there's like a trailer of some old Russian dude speaking and it's just basically teasing. Oh, it might be Khrushchev um, or but someone. the first look um, is at. Oh, I, I understand morning, what you're saying. Yes, Thursday, it's, 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 it's. Thursday morning for us. So it'll be interesting to see when it's set. Is it set in like, you know, Cuban Missile Crisis? Is it set a little bit later? Set in... I think it's going to be later because Black Ops 1 was the Cuban Missile Crisis. It was kind of based around that sort of stuff. I think it's going to be a bit later. Because the issue with the Cold the War, William, I'm, Cold War. I'm not sure uh, history buffs out there. The Cold War, you know, the beauty of it is there weren't really any skirmishes. So it'll be interesting no. to see how they factor in. But it looks, oh, sorry, should, should I say it sounds pretty cool. Sounds good. Yeah. So Doom 64 so, got a thumbs up. Doom 64, that's how we got to COD, but um, Doom 64 on Nintendo Switch. I'm not sure if it's still $3, but for the listeners, uh, whoever you are, uh, if you're bored and you have a Switch, get Doom 64 for $3.12, I think it was. It's such a cool way to kind of go back and enjoy sort of where this crazy genre of gaming kind of kicked off. Yeah. Sort of the godfather of um, the first-person shooter. That's <laughs> um, cool. Excellent, excellent. Well, my second one this week is something that I actually had in the can. We were going to record late last week. Um, so I've, I've since watched one more episode. Uh, Apple TV's Ted Lasso, which people... Oh, I haven't seen this yet. People I would have watched it may have seen some little bits and pieces about. Um, so yeah. Ted, Ted Lasso obviously is a character played by Jason Sudeikis who we first saw sort of six or so years ago on an ad for NBC's coverage of the English Premier League and Sudeikis plays this sort of, you know, clueless American football coach, um, you know, talking about soccer. And the idea was it was just a funny little bit to sell um, the NBC soccer coverage for the EPL. Um, so it's one of those things that you, I'm not surprised as such, but you sort of go, geez, that took a while to become a series. Like you go, we sort of first saw this character, yeah, like six or seven years ago. And now we're getting a little, yeah. a little sort of, um, uh, you know, single camera comedy series out of it, and it's it's interesting. Like it is interesting. It's, I find myself. I watched the first four episodes. The first three came out in one hit. Um, there's like a new episode every Friday is available through Apple TV. And effectively, the concept is uh, American football coach Ted Lasso is hired by the fictitious AFC Richmond um, in the Premier League. Uh, by the club's new female owner. Uh, her aim is to basically plunge the club into disarray uh, to spite her ex-husband. So her husband owned the team. In their acrimonious divorce, she got the team. And her, her attitude is, I want to ruin it. Um, if it sounds a bit like Major League, you know, the idea of um, Major League, you, you're quite correct. It is very similar. The idea that this, this sort of woman comes in, takes over the team, and her aim is to sort of ruin it. Um, yeah. And look, my biggest thing with it is, I think I need to say up front, I am enjoying it. However, we spoke last week, we've spoken a fair bit actually, 
about suspension of disbelief. And it's what media, it's what cinema, it's what TV sort of asks us to do. And, and in a lot of ways, we pay it the courtesy. You know, as something as silly as Batman, we, we are asked to suspend disbelief that there's a guy dressing up like a bat and he's walking around the city and he's terrorising criminals. And we suspend disbelief, we pay them the courtesy because without that, the film doesn't work. You know, it's the reason that Superman can fly. So mm. I spoke about Little Big League a couple of weeks ago and it's the same concept in like a sporting movie like Little Big League in that we afford Little Big League the courtesy of going that 12-year-old kid is going to manage the Minnesota Twins. But what that film does mm. really, really well is that it goes, yes, this is ridiculous, this is absurd. However, we're going to show that this kid, Billy, we're going to show that he is like a baseball savant. We're going, to, we're going to show you examples of this guy. No one knows more about baseball than him. doesn't matter that he's 12 years old. We're going to actually show you, you know, however many examples that this kid is probably the smartest baseball fan in the world. So you kind of go, oh, yeah, cool, I get it. Like, it's ridiculous, it's absurd, but for the fun of the movie, I'm going to pay it the courtesy of you've shown me this kid knows his stuff, Going to manage the twins. Okay, cool. And it's a family film. It's a bit of fun. This this one here, like, it just, there's something about it where you're like, it's not even that he's a soccer coach, he's a football coach. And it's a reasonable kind of fish-out-of-water premise. You know, the, the, the Yankee doodle comes to town and he doesn't know anything about the game and he's getting in the wrong side of the car and he's using, you know, doesn't know what the offside rule is. And... <laughs> The question I have is, who is this show made for? Because yeah. I I love soccer, but there's a show like there, there, there needs to be like an, they call the phrase is inside baseball where it's kind of made for the fans and the, the show is as smart as the fans. Because the problem with Ted Lasso is, um, I don't think an American audience will really take to it, and no. and a European audience is probably like, this is a kid show. This is so dumb like the, the way that you're treating the game that we all take really seriously, it's a bit, it's, yeah. they'd be sitting there going, like, oh, I get that I'm, this what the joke is, I get that the concept is, I get that it's meant to be a bit of fun, but at the same time, like, there's just little things that feels really small. And, and again, I appreciate that realising sport on camera is very difficult, it's very costly, it's very, very hard to make look good, and you need to have your show revolve around the backroom stuff more than the on-field stuff because it's just so difficult to realise. That's why baseball is really good to do because the game's kind of static. American football is really good to do because the game's static. You know, there's yeah. two teams lined up next to each other. Um, but this one here, you're like, it just feels a bit small for a supposed Premier League team or show about a Premier League team. And it's, I suppose it's just lacking the bona fides that a sports movie or a sports show needs to have. Moneyball's replete with the money's ball. Moneyball has enough sports bona fides for like 10 films. The way they talk about the game, they don't, um, they have to explain the game, but they don't do it in a condescending way. This one here, it's just, I don't know. And at its heart, you know what's really funny about it? It's not really funny. Like, there's four episodes in, and it's ostensibly a comedy. It's not laugh out loud, ha ha funny. But it's got an unbelievable amount of heart. So even if you find yourself, you're watching it, and you're like, you know what, this isn't outstanding. 
But Jason Sudeikis is a really charismatic, really likable lead character who yeah. you root for. And you're like, I don't know if the film, oh, sorry, the TV show, I don't know if the TV show realizes we're not laughing like we're probably meant to. But at yeah. the same time, you actually have found yourself connecting more with the character than they probably expected. There's this weird out of kilter. We're not laughing as much as they would like us to, but we like the character more than they probably expected us to. So it's this, mm. it's a weird balance. But um, you, you think of something like uh, like the characterization is really well done, and it, which is which is important. But if you're billing yourself as a comedy, you need to have laughs. You think of something like a Brooklyn Nine Nine, which does both. It's you know that's a, a bad example in the sense that they're, they're seven years in, but from pretty early on they did characterization really well and comedy really well. And then now the two are fused yep. together. So each co- each character has their own very, very particular sort of flavor. And we have a very particular comedy that comes as a result of those mixing, you know, with one another. And I understand that this show is only four episodes in totally, but you're like, I just don't you go. I'm not sure if this is a sustainable model, but I'm not, not enjoying watching it. It's well, a, it's a, it sounds like a better rap than I gave Space Force, which has obviously got another, you know... No, it is, isn't uh, it? Comic, comical, uh, you know, powerhouse and, and Steve Carell. It's um, actually a very good point so, you make. Yeah, it's like, you've, it's show, it, from what you say, it's showing more promise than that. Well, but this is the thing. I don't even know if that's the case. Like, I, I'll keep watching it. Yeah. And if, and if the current trajectory holds, like, I will enjoy it. But it's this weird feeling where I'm like, is it, is it, is it, am I meant to laugh? Like, is this meant to be like, like funny, funny, like haha, or, or are we still going, are we going to go more down this? It's actually, you know what, now that I think about it, I should have mentioned this off the top. It's produced by Ted Lawrence, who produced and is the man behind Scrubs. So you may remember Scrubs had that, not criticism, yeah, 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 yeah. but Scrubs had that commentary for a long time where it was like, is this meant to be a comedy or like, and it had had moments that were hilarious, but then it would obviously balance the yeah. more serious side of the reality of a hospital. Like it would really deftly handle the emotional moments like brilliantly. And the character stuff in that, you know, as Scrubs went on was outstandingly well done. I'm not expecting yeah, Ted Lasso. Like, am I watching Friends or am I watching a funny Grey's Anatomy? Yeah, and, and I'm not expecting like Ted Lasso is, is a much more silly concept than that, obviously. So, yeah. but it's definitely got the same... I use the phrase again, the same DNA, where this character, the main character, you're like, I need to be laughing more often for this show to succeed. However, he's a really, really likable, like, hero. And you've sort of, it feels like you've kind of accidentally happened on too much of one thing, which is good, but at the expense of something else. So, like I said, four episodes are available as of now. The fifth airs, or is available on Friday through Apple TV. And it'll just be interesting to see it continue to evolve and where it goes. You can kind of telegraph where it's going to go and and the like, but it's a curious little show where you're kind of going, A, who's it made for? B, what show do you kind of want it to be? And even whilst I'm scratching my head about these two very, very important things, I'm sort of invi- like I'm invested in it. Mm. It's weird, but... <laughs> And, and look, to be brutally honest, oh, like there's a film um, that I absolutely love called Mike Bassett, England Manager. It was released in 2001, I think it was, an English sort of parody film 
which is a similar-ish concept where nobody wants to take the England national job, the head coach of England. No one wants to take the job because um, they're in disarray and blah, 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 blah. You know, the head coach has a heart attack and they hire the only person they can hire who wants the job, who's prepared to take the job, is Mike Bassett, who's like a lower league journeyman manager. And he's just, he's an idiot. And he takes England yeah. to the World Cup. And it's, that's got more of that inside baseball, like soccer fans would watch and love the humour, the silliness. That's got, that hits yeah. more of the right notes um, than this. They tried to turn that into a TV show. It was awful. It was unwatchable. But um, yeah. I love Mike Bassett, and I think maybe if you hadn't, if I hadn't, if I'm, if you weren't such a massive fan of football, and in my case in particular, I hadn't seen Mike Bassett, you'd probably be watching Ted Lasso little a little less critically. But as I keep saying, I sound like a broken record. It's still quite an okay watch. Mm. That I would encourage. Well, yeah, I was I was planning on watching it, um, this, like for this episode, but I never got around to it. Check it out. Like, so I'll, give it a look. I'll, I'll give it a chance. Yeah, give it a look. And it's 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 like inoffensively, like really accessibly. You watch it, you move on pretty quickly after an episode's finished. It's like it's sort of all right. Yeah. It's like the most damning with faint praise I think anyone can ever be. Watch it, but don't watch <laughs> it with expectations that are too high. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso. Hmm. Um, excellent. So that was your second DOS number two. Um, my number two, let's just pick and choose which one I want to say first, is a TV series uh, currently on Netflix. It's kind of getting pushed in through there, um, usually on the trending. Um, the Australian Netflix for those watching legally. Um, we all are. And it is a, I guess, a, not a remake, but a rejig of, um, which I only found out this week, of a 1980s or 1970s show, Dynasty. Oh. <laughs> you, there is nothing, what we've learned in this whole process, there's nothing you love more than ensemble soap operas. <laughs> Absolute sucker for them. Um, I, I, I will say that having, you know, being, being in a loving relationship, um, you know, this shows that you will not necessarily want to start watching, but you sit down and watch an episode because your significant, your significant other, um, wants to watch it. So and then it becomes, well, I have to find out on, what happens now. No, it's not, I'm not as gripped as I was for, um, Grey's Anatomy, which, which we're still punching through. What about the um, one about the horses? Oh, that finished. That's uh, yeah. That's all. That's all done. Um, so. You sound heartbroken about that. Yeah, it's real. It's real tough. Um, the real heartbreak is with Maddie. She is. She's kind of lost, not having any horses to watch anymore. Um, but yeah, I am watching Dynasty. Uh, this show is crazy. It's what would be a twist at like the end of a season for Grey's is a twist per episode. It's a twist going to an um, outbreak. It's just, it's just absurd. Like there'll be, you know, someone will, someone's really good for like four episodes and then turns out they're pitting against this family and then someone did something, but then what they actually did was worse. And it's just like, I, I don't concentrate fully, but 
I will always finish an episode going, what the fuck just happened? Um, so I brought this up with Maddie's mum. She was like, Dynasty, like Dynasty, Dynasty, whatever. Like the show from the 80s. I was like, no, no, no. Like it's a show made now. It's been reenacted. And I explained the concept. And then she was like, yeah, that's the same thing. It's the same <laughs> show. Like, oh. <laughs> and then we got into, um, we got onto a tangent on uh what's it called dallas dallas yeah um i i haven't seen that before that but re- didn't, that, didn't, that get, didn't that get reimagined as well i think it did um but uh this is all this one's based in atlanta um so or the south yeah it's uh it's interesting it's it, it's an easy watch i can be on my phone and my switch and still know what's going on. Um, it doesn't take a whole lot to get used to it. And yeah, it's been, it's, it's funny. They're like kind of the main the daughter in it. She's kind of one of the main ones. She was a, I, was, I spent the first three episodes going, why do I know this woman's face? Like it just could not slip out of my mind. She was on a uh, Nickelodeon show back in the day when I was at school. And she was uh, like the bitchy one. Mm-hmm. It's basically, I think she's just carried this bitchy role throughout all of her acting career. Um, on the, it was uh, victorious, um, Victoria Justice. She was like the head of it, I guess, um, head of the show, one of those Nickelodeon and Disney products. But um, so she's the main character. Her dad is uh, Grant Show. He's got a familiar face. Don't know what he's been in. Um, is this the one? He looks. Is, is this the one that has Alan Dale in it, the Australian guy from Neighbours? Yes. So we were looking. I, me and Manny were looking that up, and we're like, "Is that a Kiwi accent?" We couldn't quite make it out. But then I looked him up. I was like, "Oh my god, he's been on Neighbours for like yeah. twenty years." Yeah, Alan Dale. <laughs> yeah, um, and he's kind of as corrupt as uh, as the father in the. In the, th- in the show, but as far as I can see, it's still running. Um, and there's like 22 episodes or something in a season. And would you say, season. did you say that he, Alan Dale, um, uh, kind of plays the Stefan Dennis role on um, Neighbours? I'll be honest, I have not watched a whole lot of Neighbours in my life. <laughs> oh, what was um, his, what's his name, Stefan? What's, I'm looking it up. I'm just drawing a blank. And Stefan Dennis plays like the bad guy in Neighbours. Shit, what's his name? Um, he owns, he owns like he's Lassiter's. He's a bad guy, but he helps bad situations Ooh, he and enables them. you probably shouldn't. Well, Alan Dale, uh, who was he on? Was he one of the Ramseys on Neighbours? I can't even remember, but Stefan Dennis on Neighbours plays um, like... Jim, Jim Robinson. Jim Robinson, yes. Um, he, Paul Robinson, yes, yes. He might actually be his son. I'm just trying to, based on their ages, to be honest. But Paul Robinson is like the Rupert Murdoch of Erinsborough. <laughs> like he's got Lassiter's, you know, you think about it, these empire with tens of millions of dollars. He's got, he's got uh, locations in New York and Paris and Dubai and Erinsborough. Instead of going, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was in um, Captain America, Councilman Rockwell. Alan Dale. Yeah, yeah. He was in um, he was in Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull as well. 
So I think he he's a Kiwi, but lived in Australia. That's where he made so his crust. That's where he was making that sweet neighbour's money. Yeah. Um, the OC. Yes. Fucking been in everything. 24, West Wing, Star Trek, X-Men. He's, he's carved out. Like a, uh, he's carved out a bit of a career for himself, which is you know good on him. He has. He's done. I wonder how much he's worth. He'd probably work an absolute screen. Obviously, you know people people our age would probably know him um, as uh, uh, John Ellis on Entourage. Yes, John Ellis. <laughs> um, Stellan Skarsgård. One thing I need to like make sure I kind of punch out and watch before we go back to normal life. Entourage. I think. Have you seen it? Um, I've, you know, like episodes here and there, yeah, I haven't okay. really made an effort. Mate, there's um, like eight seasons, I think it is. Seriously, you'll punch, you'll punch out that show in a week. Yeah, well, you and, uh, you and our former boss always used to quote it and I was just standing there going, ah, ha, ha. Uh-huh, yeah. Of course, I know that. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it's, <laughs> you, the first season is eight episodes. You'll watch it in, but just, you'll just crank them out. You'll just watch them in like the space of... Two hours. Are they half an hour? 2022. Oh, Jesus. Right. They, are, thing. they are the dictionary definition of fairy floss TV. <laughs> you think it's there and then you put it in your mouth, it's gone. <laughs> You're like, oh, that wasn't. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's it. It's finished. Oh, okay. It's like that raccoon yeah, playing so, with the fairy uh, floss. So, Dynasty with Alan Dale. Alan, Alan Dale's Dynasty. Pick. Are you giving it a thumbs? Mm. It sounds like you're giving it a bit of a commodus, like not thumbs up, but not thumbs down. I'll give it a, what's it got on IMDb? It's got a, oh, it's got a 7.3. I'll give it like a 6.2. 7.3 is high. Yeah, very high. It's very high. Um, but, yeah, 6.2, watchable. Um, not a whole lot to it. I can kind of jump in and out and still know what's going on. Mm, interesting. Very good. Very yeah. good. Um, yeah. My last one for this week is something that uh, uh, I should probably say that the new Killers album came out, Imploding the Mirage, and I really do like it. Um, and I've listened to it through a couple of times, and I, I, I'm a big fan. And if you like the Killers, you'll like the album. It's really as simple as that. Um, it's that classic Angus Young quote, ACDC, when he was asked, they released... Black Ice or, you know, one of their more recent albums. And he was asked, you know, what does it sound like? And he goes, all the other ones. <laughs> it's like, yeah, if, if you like us, you'll like this record. You go, yeah, it's pretty much true. Um, yeah. This is something that I happened across. I've tried to grab it. Um, I, have, I have it on, on DVD, but it's an American copy. And in the 13 years since its release, I no longer have a DVD that is region free, so I can't play it. Um which is frustrating. You would have thought, why we have regions? I've got no idea. It's stupid. <laughs> but I happened to, I thought, oh, I'll download it because I want to watch it. And I found a, like a torrent and can't, like it's it's up, coming and going. It doesn't want to work. It's, you know, like 40% done in like a week because you know, it's got no seeds. But this is on YouTube. And for anyone who likes sports shows, for anyone who likes sports dramas, for anyone who likes baseball, it is on YouTube all eight episodes. It's called The Bronx is Burning. And this is something that, like I said, I've watched. I think this is the third time I've watched it. Um, it's released in 2007. And it's effectively about the uh, 1977 uh, New York Yankees baseball season. 
So in 1977, uh, New York was gripped by the summer. You know, baseball happens in the summer months. Um, was gripped by the Son of Sam murders. Uh, this guy just going around shooting people sitting in cars. He was, you know, serial killer, um, David Berkowitz. But there was like a mayoral election as well, like this really spiteful kind of mayoral election. There were blackouts, there were strikes. There was all this like tumult in New York City. And in amongst it all, the New York Yankees were going through this extraordinary, um, extraordinarily you know, tumultuous year of their own where three enormous egos, three enormous personalities on the field and off the field were butting heads. Um, Reggie Jackson, this sort of legendary uh, slugger, who they, they traded in. Um, George Steinbrenner, the owner, of course, uh, this legendary figure in his own right. And... Billy Martin. Steinbrenner from the... Uh, from, from Seinfeld, Seinfeld. yeah. And he, but he's... This is the thing, like, he, he at, when this happened in 1977, he'd only owned the Yankees for a couple of years. When Seinfeld rolls around 20 years later, he's become this larger-than-life caricature. He was always that big yeah. and always that confident, but early on in his reign, like, he's he's finding his voice and his feet as the, the boss, is what he was called. Mm. But um, Billy Martin, Billy Martin was the manager of the New York Yankees, played for the New York Yankees, and he's as crazy as a cut cat. Like, yeah, he would manage the Yankees. I think he managed the Yankees five or six times. Like, he, he would get fired and then rehired a bit later. Fired and then rehired a bit later. Dead set. I think I'm pretty sure he had five separate tenures as manager of the Yankees. Right. So his relationship with Steinbrenner was this really combustible, really bizarre. He could do the job, but he was an idiot. So he, he'd come in, he'd do it, he'd get sacked. A little bit down the line... Oh fucking! We need Billy Martin, don't we? We need a, we need we need a we need a nutcase to take control. They'd hire him. It'd go yeah. south. He'd get fired, etc. But this is an ESPN production uh, based on a book, um, and it just charts the 1977 you know summer of baseball in New York, cast against you know the political tumult, son of Sam um, murders, and you know the war going on in the Yankees clubhouse between these three enormous figures and each other and the media or through the media it's it's really really good like it's i remember watching it years ago really really enjoying it and going back and watching it again and going yeah this is great this is really well done it's a fantastic it's almost in a weird sort of way it's like a sliding doors when you think they made this in 2007 and it's a it's a dramatization of a sports story it is a true story but yeah. what they they did this and then there's a divergent path where they keep doing this or they do what they did and they make 30 for 30s. Maybe these were too expensive or there's a lot of work that goes into having to do them and they just figured yeah. maybe maybe 30 for 30s are a bit easy to do and, and those are remarkable. They are brilliantly done. But in its own quaint little way, The Bronx's Burning is a really cool, like what might have been, like what are the other stories ESPN might have told um, it is, it's just, it's just a really well done stuff. They, they, they weave in like, um, archival footage of both New York and the Yankees. They like intersplice, you know, sometimes they'll recreate a scene and then sometimes they'll use the archival footage, um, like from the TV broadcast or the like, which is really cool. Um, it's just, I don't know. It's just brilliant. It's just a really well done sports drama. It combines all, all the drama of what happens on the field during a season um, you know, and we pretend that what happens on the field with the team you follow is really high stakes, really important stuff when it's kind of not um, in the grand scheme of things. And it casts it against 
you know, social turmoil and unrest on the streets, the whole political situation, you know, one is a distraction from the other. You know, we, we turn to sport mm-hmm. to be distracted from, you know, the, the killings in this case or the mayoral race in this case. Um, and it's just a really cool, like, character, a character study of Steinbrenner, Reggie Jackson, Billy Martin, and there's a whole bunch of peripheral characters, of course, and how they all yeah. played a part in this legendary, you know, Yankees team, um, this legendary Yankees era, um, and all in their own right were legends of the team. They just happened to coexist at the same time. It's that thing where, you know, I spoke about that film a couple of weeks ago, 61, about Roger Maris and um, Mickey Mantle, and you kind of go, very rarely, and it's happened a few times, you're like, very rarely do, like, legends coexist like in whatever the sport might be like mickey mantle played maybe one season maybe two um definitely one he played alongside joe dimaggio and you're like you at for one season the new york yankees outfield had a young mickey mantle and an old joe dimaggio and the same thing where you go like i think joe dimaggio might have played one season maybe one season with like a Lou Gehrig and Lou Gehrig played with Babe Ruth. And you're like, there's this through line that goes kind of like through these, these legendary figures within Yankees baseball and baseball in general. But Billy Martin, the manager, Reggie Jackson, the star player, George Steinbrenner, the biggest, you know, the highest profile owner, arguably in the history of professional sport. They all coexisted in this team as best they could, yeah. you know, butting heads. And it's it's just a really well done eight-part docker, eight-part dramatisation of um, the 1977 New York Yankees and, and what was going on in New York at the time. And I uh, really can't rec- uh, recommend it any higher. Like I said, if you if you search The Bronx is Burning on YouTube, all eight episodes are up. Um, a few of the episodes, um, what was really cool about it, they use, like, the soundtrack is, is almost exclusively... The Ramones, who are obviously Queens, a New York band, and in and at that yeah. time were obviously a super popular band. Um, the only problem is in a few of the later episodes, there's some really really fun montages that use Ramones songs that they they can't obviously use on YouTube, so the the volumes muted, which is a bit frustrating because mm-hmm. there's some really cool stuff. But other than that, eight episodes, all available on YouTube and all worth your time. If you've never watched it, a it's a great story. B it's told brilliantly and see it's a cool what might have been like from ESPN who end up making these magnificent docos. But this is one of the first things that they, you know, clearly spent big money and time to make. So the Bronx is burning. Loved it. Loved it. Loved it on YouTube. Um, if you love baseball, you'll love it. If you love sports stuff, you'll love it. And uh, as I said, with 61, if you just like sort of like good TV shows, you'll probably get something out of it as well. Excellent. Um, well, yeah, I do like a good sports doco, so... Check it out. Um, and the fact that it's on YouTube, easily accessible. Absolutely. Um, my last one today is... It actually ties in well to the to what you were just saying. Um, there's a four-part doco miniseries movie thing on Netflix. Uh, Fear City, New York versus The Mafia. Ooh. Um, been trending lately um, on Netflix, so I kind of I put I put it on my list and did something else, and then couldn't find it, and then pop, it popped up again. Um, but this is a basically just a really good insight into how the mafia 
essentially owned New York um, during the 70s and 80s. Um, and it's like, I don't know, I've always liked, um, you know, Mafia, like anything like, you know, that you, oh, there's one with Ryan Gosling who was based in like Al Capone days. Um, what was that one called? I just been the Mafia, I don't know. But there was uh, any kind of Mafia type movie or TV show I tend to love. Um, and I kind of, I was hoping this was what it was going to be. And it was, I was pleasantly surprised. Um, basically IMDB just describes as five mafia families ruled New York with a bloody fist in the seventies and eighties until a group of federal agents tried to do the unthinkable, take them down. Mm -hmm. Um, and it basically just elaborates on how the government, it sort of um, sounds a bit like like the untouchables meets the Godfather. Kind of. Um, it kind of, it kind of explained how the government made certain laws so they could make all of them guilty for one thing. Um, a Rico? And it take, hey? A Rico case? Yes. Um, you know how I know that? And It was right, mentioned in The Dark Knight. Dead set. Rico case, right. In The Dark Knight, they said that's how they got to... They were going to indict all of the mobsters because once they decided to pull their money, they could all be indicted on the same offence as being in a, like a criminal conspiracy. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was just, it's crazy how there was, there was one guy who basically bugged all of New York mafia houses. Um, and there's a point to where you would think, how stupid are these people? The same guy that fixed someone's TV is also the same guy that fixed someone's lights and <laughs> he also fixed someone's cable. And would you notice same. though, like if you were busy, if you were running a mafia empire, would you notice it's the same dude? <laughs> I'd um, like to think I would. I, I would. I'd like of, to think I would. But yeah. I don't know. It'd probably be a bit harder to do it now the way they did it back then. Um, but given the time, they'll probably, um, you know, they're doing the best that they could with the technology that they had. But Did he just have like overalls and a hat on? Hey. Did he just have like like overalls, like the, the tan overalls and a hat? Yeah, and a briefcase and yep. just walks up to the front door, gets out of a blue van and <laughs> yeah. Simple. Um, I love it how like effective. none of the, these mafia guys thought, do we not have someone out, uh, like who can fix these phones ourselves like that we know? <laughs> just in case. Yeah. Um, and like they're all, all like when they had some of the big profile heads of the families in their cars, eventually, spoiler alert, they got them. Um, they kind of, they, I think the New York Times or something had got, had got the tapes or they were going to play, I was on the radio or something and basically they've, they've got the proof of the tapes. Um, they found out the day before the FBI were going to go and get the, um, get the mob bosses. So they're like, fuck, we have to go get them early. Yeah. Um, and they're basically sitting in the back of the car and then he hears that the, Crime boss, here's the tape of him, of the guy that had put the bug in. He goes, you bastard, you bugged me. And he's like, yeah, I had to do what I had to do. And it's just like, ah, you beat them, and this is amazing. Um, <laughs> I hope it was that nonchalant crazy. as like, well. They owned, like, all like all of the industry. Like, oh, yeah, was, shipping, know, like they, gambling. The New York government or whatever, they had taxes, and, like, you, were, you know, you basically made money if you decided to build something. And they owned all the construction companies, a lot of transport, yep. like anything. They owned all the trucks. People power. Oh, 
They own like logistics. They own shipping. So like the idea, like that's really cool. There's some cool moments in like all those mob films, like Goodfellas, where yeah, um, I don't know the line verbatim, but they (laughs) Ray Liotta's character, uh, part of the the mob sort of group that he was part of, they would just station themselves out of uh, Idlewild Airport, which is you know just outside of like New York, New Jersey, and he said whatever the number was, he goes such and such, you know, however much money worth of freight you know, would come through Idlewild Airport and we tried to steal every bit of it. Mm. And they would. They would just literally, like, there's a great scene at the start of the film where they're standing at the front of a diner, a, sh- a logistics, like a shipping, you know, truck pulls up at the diner, gets out, ostensibly, you know, I'm going to go in and get myself a coffee. They just, he's in on it. He just leaves the key in the truck. They just drive his truck off and they've stolen the goods on mm. the truck. Yeah, and, like, the West, the fact that, you know, there's all these crime families and they're all based in certain parts of New York, but then they had something called the Commission, and that was basically a all the heads of the crime families all worked together to make the most money they could. Um, I suppose there was a, in a fair way there's probably a certain where, amount of, like, whilst they all hated each other and they're all, like, really um, wary of one another, uh, and The Godfather kind of touches on this as well, but as you said, like, each each different family had like a different slice of New York. You know, oh, one, yeah. one of them controls gambling or one of them controls narcotics or one of them's got, you know, better ties to the police. One of them controls the airport. One of them controls the port. Yeah, and like they were, and they were driving through New York somewhere and uh, like past all these construction sites and they saw this one like cement truck that wasn't the two cement companies that they had their fingers in and they were like, hold up. Is someone else using a different cement company to like to build these things? Why aren't we making money off that? So then they go and basically just beat up the people and say like, "Where have you come from? Give us your money, and we'll take charge of it." And it's just like it's that easy to just go in, use your fear, use the fear that is surrounded you, surrounds you to the public, and there you go. Like there's there's another two million bucks in your back pocket. Back in the seventies and eighties, oh yeah, it's crazy. I suppose it's tough too because you had to have, you know, they're all these classic, like American gangsters, a cool kind of look at this, like this sort of mm. this sort of um, idea that you need, if you were law enforcement, you need like a different kind of like fearlessness to go after the mob because not only are they no nonsense, you know, the stakes for them are millions of dollars, which is mm. a, a lot of money no matter what area you're in, but they've got your mates in their pocket and and you yeah. might you might know not know who is who um it actually reminds me a little bit off topic it actually reminds me you know what a frustrating this is really off topic but kind of kind of relevant at the same time i just had this thought you know in the wolf of wall street which is a really fun movie but you know how he's um i think it's Kyle Chandler plays the FBI agent who's like trying to catch him sort of thing yeah. um and he, you know, he, he, they cross paths a couple times, and the main confrontation on on um, uh, Leo's boat or the yacht, and he's like saying, you know, I could I could buy you a million times, you know, your your, your ugly wife and your family, and you, you live in your apartment and blah blah. And Leo's having a crack at him, basically saying, you you don't you you've, you're nothing to me. I'm worth so much more money than you. You know, this lifestyle or doing what I am doing is worth this lifestyle, even if I only get to live it for a blink of an eye, everything yeah. I'm doing is worth it just to live this lifestyle. And watching the film, you're like, oh, it's, 
yeah, you, I think you've got to be careful you don't kind of like canonize these criminals because I'd love to, as fanciful as it is, one of, you, one of the things I would ask Scorsese, if you, if you ever were to interview him, one of the things I would ask him was, why didn't you give the law enforcement guy who ultimately brings Jordan Belfort to justice, why didn't you give him like a fuck you moment? Not to Belfort internally, but earlier in the film, you make a big song and dance of Jordan Belfort rubbing in his face. You don't have this. You don't have my wealth. You know, I'm better than you because I've got more money than you. Go back to your shit house and your ugly wife and your kids mm. and whatever. And a really awesome exclamation point to that whole film would have been had at the end of the day, um, Kyle Chandler's character brings Jordan Belfort to justice. Jordan Belfort's going to go, whether it be a, he was in like a, a farm prison, like he wasn't even doing hard time, but Jordan Belfort nah. goes in his prison and at the end of the day, having captured him, having toppled his empire, having lost all of his money, Kyle Chandler's FBI agent gets on the train and he goes home and he's happy like it shows him he has what Jordan Belfort will never have. He's genuinely happy. He has a wife, mm. he has a family, he has a home. Yes, it's more modest, but at the same time, he has won. And that happiness isn't just this gaudy, vulgar excess. And this is one of the moments in The Wolf of Wall Street, whilst I really enjoy the film, frustrates me because it, it spends so much time celebrating this asshole. And you're like, yeah, we watch the film and we have fun watching this this guy, you know, waste his money and be flippant and, and whatnot. You go, yeah, it's, it's, it's fun to watch. But at the same time, the film makes a point of showing Kyle Chandler's like guy getting on, I think it's a train, like the idea of getting on the train and going home at the end of the day. And you're like, it strikes me more as a criticism of him than it does like a pat on the back that you've done your job, you've caught the bad guy, blah, 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 blah. And, and this is what you get in these, these mob shows is that the good guys, Russell Crowe in American Gangster was a good example of it. You know, operating between the lines, you, you don't have much money. You don't make much money. You don't live an excessive lifestyle. You're not living in the big New York penthouse. But ultimately for society and ultimately for the public, you're doing the right thing. You know, bringing, bringing these but guys this down. City- it does. It kind of does that well, where it sets up. It makes you almost like the mafia in the first two episodes, and, and, and then that, when and the FBI yeah. get cranking, you're like, "Oh, okay." And it's really all about the success of the FBI. And yeah, then by good. the end, you're like, huh, "Yeah, fuck you guys." Yeah, like, that's that's good. Ruining everyone's lives, and it's like, it, yeah, it ties it. It kind of goes into that where it gives you that moment that Wolf of Wall Street didn't have. I reckon in Wolf of Wall Street, though, that moment would have been on the table at some point. Yes. Absolutely. And gone, nah, this is all about Belfort. And that's it. Well, you sit there and you go, so you're going to put the moment in the film where he has a crack at the FBI guy. But then yeah. you've got this beautiful, you don't even have to say a word. You don't even, there's no dialogue. If you literally had it just showed him getting off the train, walking up to his door, giving his wife a kiss and a hug and seeing his you know, daughter or son. And you sit there and you go, you sit there and go, he doesn't want, he doesn't need anything more. Yeah. He doesn't need your gaudy excess. He's caught you. Um, blah, blah, blah. And you go, it would have been a really nice moment. But instead, it's cool to hear that, you know, these these films, I think, sometimes walk a very fine line celebrating criminality. Mm. Oh, look how much money. And he's got the, he's bought a, a nice car or he's living in the big apartment and blah, 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 blah. And you go, yeah, that's great. But he's a criminal. 
Well, it's like the whole thing of Fast and Furious. Yeah. They're all criminals. Yeah, and you're like, yeah, like well. They've, st- they've stolen millions and millions of dollars. Now they work they get, for the system, Will. And then they turn the rock into now a corrupt criminal. Like, it, but that's, that's celebrate, that celebrates the criminality that you're talking about. It's the most boring, like, Robin Hood arc in the history of cinema, Fast and the Furious. <laughs> they start off as, like, point break. Uh, Paul Walker's got to, you know, infiltrate the gang. And then now yeah. this gang are doing like, they're like opposing international super terrorists. <laughs> and you're sort of going, hey, yeah. wait a minute. But this is exactly what I spoke about earlier, about suspension of disbelief. We pay the film the courtesy of believing that like Dom Toretto's crew have got the tick of approval to do whatever this latest thing is, you know, by the president. It's not a crew. It's family. The familiar. Yeah, you, you, like there's this whole thing where at some point in time, a fairly senior figure in the American political class has had to have said, get Toretto. We need Toretto's crew. <laughs> and you're like, but why? Just I use need the, my guys. <laughs> they're the best. <laughs> but like what, this idea of why Toretto? Why don't you just use a military like SEAL unit? Because it involves yeah. cars. <laughs> You're like, oh. yeah, but our guys he can drive an old Mustang <laughs> because he's got an old Chevy. You're like, yeah, but can't you just use some of the rocks like soldiers, like the rock seal mates? No, no, we need Ludacris. We need, we need Tyrese. But, but do we though? Yes, and we need a pretty woman, damn yeah, it. And we need a really attractive woman who's good with computers because that's not what the audience is expecting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can we see a little bit oh, of, yeah. can, can we see some cleave yes absolutely <laughs> she needs to go on a beach she must wear a bikini goes can she be hacking wearing a sarong maybe <laughs> like yeah, yeah you know she's in like the caribbean so like it's hot so she has to you know she's not going to be fully clothed go what about she'll toretto be ripping with sweat yeah go what about toretto go he'll be wearing a singlet and some white pants going okay <laughs> but what about everyone else? Suit jackets, uh, suit jackets, so yeah, big watches. Diddy, New York versus the Mafia. For it's they're about fifty minutes, four episodes. Um, I smashed it out, thinking it was like a season thing. Mm. Um, and then it got to the fourth episode, and it all finished. I was like, oh, okay. So <laughs> <laughs> I was a bit like that with um, uh, Perry Mason, which I do recommend yeah. if people haven't watched. I spoke about it a couple of weeks ago. I, I really enjoyed the show. Um, I thought there was one more episode to go and about two thirds of the way through what the last episode was, I was like, it twigged with me. I went, I think this is the last one. Wrapping up. They're wrapping this shit up. There's not another episode. And I like looked it up and I went, ah, oh, this is it. <laughs> Which was fine. Like it wrapped up satisfactorily, but I'm sitting there going, I've got one more week of this. This is good. This is coming to the boil. And then no, it's finishing. <laughs> it's literally coming off the boil. It's complete. Um, it's whistling. <laughs> it's ready to be served. It's done. Um, well, that sounds actually quite interesting. That's as I said, all that stuff's you know relatively um, sort of well done. You know that the mobster stuff, and it's it's always interesting that I use the phrase again, the inside baseball. It's always that interesting that cool kind of like look behind the curtain, like take us inside, you know, um, the war with the mob, or take us inside. Yeah, like we all, everyone has like a kind of brief, very vague knowledge of the mafia. And New York City, but it's like it's kind of it got you in. There's interviews with former mafia members, um, and then interviews with FBI 
agents at the time and how they did it and like they don't have to show you how they bugged them or like what they did but it's just cool yeah, to kind of like I, I loved it it's just cool to sometimes yeah like get a peek behind the curtain of like this particular operation this is how we brought down this particular ring and it, these are the key players yeah. these are who they are this is what they were doing and you're like it's like pretty high stakes like in the scheme of things this isn't yeah. this isn't the local like you know a chop shop you know operation burning dvds no. stuff like, like it's pretty high stake stuff so what was it called yeah. sorry uh fierce city new york versus the mafia Ooh, that sounds quite uh, interesting i might have to have a peek at that i do like that kind of stuff and we've spoken a bit about on this podcast how there's like there's always you know on tv there's always the cop show and there's always the courtroom drama and, you know, mm-hmm. there's those tenets in, in the cinemas. There's always the romantic comedy, you know, comes out around kind of Valentine's Day or, you know, Christmassy. There's always the, the romantic comedy and there's blah, blah, blah. Yep. And you're like, there's always the crime, like the mob, the mob movie, the mob show. Mm. Like it's one of those things that just seems to, it's, it's always something like that happening. So we're exposed to them quite often, you know, Sopranos and there's plenty of others, but... Um, when they're done well, you're like, yeah, this is great. We all have a, a cool kind of fascination with the, the inner workings of the mob. Yeah. Mm. I feel like this would be a really good movie if someone could do it. Um, yeah. Just play or like the... But then I guess, I know, they probably don't step on anyone's toes and if someone is, is given a bad representation, then people might be killed. Who knows? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> well, it's probably not worth it doing it if you're going to get murdered. Well, that happened with Narcos. They did. They went and shot a season of Narcos, and someone got shot because that's not how it happened. It's a drama. It says it at the start, doesn't it? This is a dramatization. Yeah, I know. Then, like, <laughs> obviously, it's about someone, and those people know who it is. So, therefore, I can imagine the guy that got shot saying that, going, "We made it clear it's not accurate. This is a there's, drama type. There's a disclaimer at the start of the episodes." There's, there's that disclaimer at the end that, that those people within are fictitious and any resemblance to anyone living or dead is merely con- <laughs> coincidental. Yeah. As he's dying of a gun. Uh, okay. Well, what was your um, pick of the week? So, yeah, my pick of the week. Um, oh, I'm going to go with Doom. Doom? Um, because Unexpected. Yeah, you know, I'm a gamer, yep. um, and this is really a game that started the uh, the love for shooters that mm-hmm. I have. Um, I don't find myself playing, you know, big story games and things that require a lot of thinking. Um, so, <laughs> a more doer is my pick. Okay, cool stuff. Cool stuff. Yeah. I uh, I strongly recommend people because uh, it's only going to be two odd minutes out of your life uh, watching that Batman trailer because it is quite cool. Um, but my pick of the week is The Bronx is Burning. I think that really well done. I can't stress it enough. Really interesting um, little slice of, you know, a, a summer or just over. They do a bit of flashback stuff, but, you know, a baseball season um, in New York that pitted a couple of the biggest personalities in the history of the New York Yankees uh, against one another at the same time and how it all unfolds and then how it's captured and realised and brought to the screen was really well done. So, um, and it's also... Uh, very readily available, as I said, on YouTube. Literally all eight episodes are up on YouTube. Um, you can access them anytime. So The Bronx is Burning is my number one pick. And by the same token, like Ted Lasso's very 
very easy to watch. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it's sort of worth probably having a look if you like a football or sort of sports stuff at the same time. Or, um, you know, Jason Sudeikis is a pretty likeable guy as well. So um, he's just got something about him. And even in this role, you're like, even if it's a bit flat, I kind of I still like this guy. <laughs> so, yeah, very good, very good. I think that just about wraps us up, Will. Yeah, sounds good. Excellent. Thank you very much for listening, if you have. Obviously, um, if you do uh, enjoy anything that we've uh, spoken about, let us know. Get in touch. Um, If you're having trouble finding anything, let us know. Get in touch. We'll uh, point you in the right direction. Uh, But for Will Peters, thank you very much, Will. Always been a pleasure. Find me at at Willie P on most things. Thank God you said that. I'd completely forgotten. Um, yeah, come on. I was waiting for you to plug it. You just didn't. So oh, yeah. Well, we had W-I, a... <laughs> two L's, two Y's, two P's and two E's for those. Two Z's, two ampersands. <laughs> um, two closed colon. <laughs> and a hashtag and a semicolon at the end. Um, semicolon. And my, uh, my name's Sean Peterbudge. You can find me at Sean Peterbudge on all the social medias. You know, you don't have to, but if you feel so inclined, you can. Um, Abuse it. Don't do that. It wouldn't be... (laughs) (laughs) Please. Please don't do that. Um, But no, thank you very much for listening. We'll catch you next time. Bye.